The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Okay. Okay. Thank you, Ying. That was beautiful. So now I would like to talk just a little bit about this idea of sutta study and kind of look at the sutta and put it into some context and to help us have a greater understanding and appreciation. For some of you, this might be a new thing to think about suttas. So one thing we can um, look at is the setting. That why does it seem that in the beginning of the sutta, for those of you who have read it, that there are a number of details, like where this is taking place, to whom the Buddha is speaking, and how they greet the Buddha. So one thing I'll say is the kalamas don't have a big role in these thousands of uh, suttas that we find in the discourses of the Buddha in the Pali Canon. However, for those of you who are familiar with the life story of the Buddha, you may know that as before he became awakened, he went and sought some meditation instructions from a teacher. And one of those teachers was Alara Kalama. So this is kind of all we know about these uh, people is that A, they had this meditation teacher that the Buddha sought, and then B, that they were perplexed when a whole bunch of different teachers were coming in their um, town and, and, and they were denigrating one another or saying, I only I know what the truth is and others don't. But we can get another hint about them, again, in the beginning of the sutta, where there's this description of some people when they go to uh, greet the Buddha, they greet him in a number of different ways. Some state their name and clan, some uh, bow, they um, pay homage in different ways. So this suggests that they have a mixture of traditions or a mixture of practices. So we can um, just um, imagine that it's not one homogeneous group of people there in the Kalamas. So another thing that um, becomes obvious if this is the first sutta you've read, probably if you've read any suttas, is that there is a lot of repetition that there's this um, some phrases that are said over and over again like verbatim. Um, And there's a number of ways to think about this and to hold this. One is that it's, you know, to consider that these are thousands of years ago, a long time ago. They're not, weren't written, but they were preserved uh, orally. That is, you know, passed on from um, one person to the next by what a person had remembered. And so a um, way to remember things is to have some, I like to think of it as kind of a musicality to it, a rhythm, a way in which there's certain passages that get repeated and makes it easier to remember them and also um, helps uh, with there's going to be some chanting, just like we have modern music today where there's a chorus and there's a bridge and different parts of it. In some ways, the suttas may be like that, is to think about a group of people chanting them together and memorizing them together. So, and... If um, if you do chant these out loud or you hear ever hear them um, spoken out loud in Pali and in English, you'll see that there's a certain rhythm to them. 
So unlike contemporary reading, like right now, especially if you're reading fiction, you kind of expect to be brought along on a journey, or maybe if it is nonfiction, you expect to be um, brought along into greater and greater understanding. Well, that may happen in the suttas. They're having this third aspect that is a, um, I, I'm just using this word musicality, a rhythm to them, in addition to the content, the specific information. So that's uh, one characteristic about the suttas. And I know for many people in the beginning, they're like, oh, this is kind of annoying and boring and off-putting, all this repetition. But I'll say now I find it a little bit endearing that like, okay, it's an encouragement to settle down, not be impatient. And it points to just how like meditation practice is the same thing about how we, maybe we meet, have a, an object, maybe it's the breath and then the mind wanders and then we just keep on coming back and then the mind wanders and we just keep on coming back. So there's the same kind of movement uh, that in reading the suttas than there is with a meditation practice. So I'll talk about that uh, in general. But of course, the repetition doesn't happen only within a sutta. If you've read the suttas, you said there's a, a, as I said, you'll notice there's a a significant amount of repetition. But between suttas also, and this becomes um, really evident the more you read uh, of the suttas, you're like, oh yeah, okay, this is um, what the scholars call a pericope. That is, I think of it kind of in modern terms, a little bit like cut and paste. There's these stock phrases that are sprinkled throughout the suttas um, to describe things that are often described in suttas. An example might be um, practicing mindfulness. It's kind of a stock phrase. Or practicing um, loving kindness. Some of it is a stock phrase. Or the way that... um, people greet the Buddha or what they do after they hear a teaching from him is a stock phrase, a pericope. So I'd like to share um, a slide with you. Uh, um, And the point here is not to read everything on this. It's a little bit too small. You can't read it. You will get this. I will email this out to you. But what I'd like to highlight here is that I highlighted our Kalama Sutta, and I put in highlight what passages appear in other suttas. And this helps to um, highlight what's unique. What is it that is specific to the Kalama Sutta? Was there something here that really stands out? And both scholars and practitioners often are looking for this. Like, what is unique? Because that might be a hint about... um, Maybe it's in a different setting, or it's to a different audience that has different needs, or maybe the Buddha is emphasizing something, as well as just a general, very, very general. There is a a movement towards greater and greater systemization. This happens not only in Buddhism, but in all teachings. So maybe if things aren't standardized, maybe it's a little bit earlier um, before the Things got more systematized. Okay, so with that as a big introduction, I'd like to share my screen 
and to show you, again, you won't be able to read this. It's more just to look at the colors. And that is, so those that are, this is our sutta. And what's in green is in other suttas. And what's in blue is in maybe one of three other suttas that have a lot of the same material as the Kalama Sutta. The Kalama Sutta is the most famous, but there's a lot of uh, the exact same words in other suttas. So, for example, the greeting here is a standard greeting. This, um, this blue part here is, it's fitting for you to be in doubt. Doubt has arisen for you. Please do not go by oral tradition, this list of 10. And then we have this big section that we find in other suttas that are very similar to the Kalama Sutta. And then some standard um, uh, pericope. This is what's in green. This is talking about the Brahma Viharas. And then there's a lot of white here. The white means this is unique to the Kalama Sutta. And this is about the four assurances. And we'll be talking about this in um, a later sutta. And then the ending is green. It has a, is kind of a standard ending. So again, we'll send this to you with the details, but just pointing out the um, what's unique and what is not unique about the Kalama Sutta, as well as um, it's, it can be interesting and fun to put it in the setting. Like who's the audience? Who's asking this question? Um, and how is the Buddha responding to them? Okay, thank you. And now I'll... Um, Hand it over to Kim. Okay, thank you, Diana. So um, we're nearing the end of our session. Um, and But just before we come to a kind of a uh, wrapping up, we have a few things to say about the uh, rest of the course and also um, some suggestions for things you might want to do before our next session on Tuesday. But before that, let's open it up for any uh, questions that you might have. And again, um, using the blue hand will help make that an easier process. It could be about the material we've covered today, or um, it could be about the Sutta in general, if you've um, read it in advance and had some some questions about it, or just anything else from our from what we've covered, any comments? Yes, um, Nula, you can go ahead and unmute yourself. Thank you. It's. Um... Just a little bit of a technical question. I was really fascinated to see the stock passages highlighted in one colour and what was unique left another colour. And I was wondering what magic made this possible. <laughs> I really enjoy comparing different suttas, so I don't know if there's... How you Diana, maybe you could speak to that. Yeah, we don't know exactly. Um, there's a few things, but one could be, it might be that there was one uh, single text and then um, as different uh, communities kind of dispersed over the years and had some geographical differences, that they might have uh, remembered them a little bit difficult uh, differently. And then when these communities came back together, 
they realized, oh, but our sutta is in this setting and yours is in that setting. These must be different teachings. So that could be one way in which to think that there was one original one that then got changed. Or maybe uh, the Buddha's teaching, he gave the same teaching in different settings and different places. And maybe I'll say just as a quick aside of the other suttas, um, one of them is not given by the Buddha. It's given by one of his disciples to somebody else. So maybe, you know, one of the students, somebody learned from the Buddha and gave it to somewhere else. And I would just... Exactly, but you have different ideas. Yes, David. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt at the tail end. I just wanted to say that Nula's question might have been interpreted to mean what magic software was able to recognize those passages. And I just wanted to say, I think that software's name is Diana. I think (laughs) Diana recognized those things and did that. Um, So wetware and not software. But um, still, yeah, that's that's, uh, Diana's little scholarship at play there. Incredible work, Diana. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. Okay. Um, Chris, why don't you go ahead and unmute yourself? This isn't so much of a question, um, but uh, I was a little nervous taking this class. And first of all, I want to thank all four of you how comforting it is to just approach this in the way you're bringing it forward already. It's just quite wonderful. Um, but I, what I did, how I did prep for this class, and I'll just offer this out to the other attendees, is I YouTubed it, and there's a ton of Kalama Sutra. There's cartoons, Bhante Guttaratana. Gil's got a great talk of the Kalama Sutra, and my eyes are fatiguing now, so I find listening to stuff as I'm chopping carrots or whatever has been just really, really a wonderful way to approach any learning now, but in particular, Sutta. Thank you. Yeah, we're fortunate in our modern era that there are um, suttas, many of the suttas are online, particularly at, yeah, it's kind of a strange um, conjunction of ancient wisdom and very modern technology. (laughs) Uh, Laura, did you also have a comment or question? Um. It was very humbling to for me to see the importance of holding the five precepts. Maybe we will talk about it later because it shows that how if you hold the five precepts and it's for non-greed, um, non-hatred, and non-delusion. And wow, you know, I every retreat I repeat the five precepts and it's just kind of going one year and going other. And wow, to read it again in the Kalama Sutra and how then that is the kind of the condition to for, you know, um, the Brahma Viharas and then it leads to the four assurances. It's just wonderful. So I just wanted to make that comment. Thank you. Thank you, Laura. Okay, well... Um Maybe since we're approaching the end, um, I will say then that uh, you may have noticed that we have an unusual schedule for this class. It's a Saturday, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. And that's um, brought to you by the magic of having it online. It seems um, 
to be a good way to um, have a little bit of an intensive look at this sutta over the course of a week. Um, we do understand, of course, that uh, maybe I have to fit in with your life somehow. And so what we've done is for the Tuesdays and the Thursday, Tuesday and Thursday, we're going to have a structure to this class where it's still 8.30 to 10, but um, we'll do all the teaching between 8.30 and 9.30, and then there will be a guided meditation from 9.30 to 10. So uh, I'm all speaking in Pacific time. Um, so if it works for you only to come for that first hour because of your work or something else, uh, just to know that that last half hour we're considering optional, although, of course, a very nice, it'll be integrated in with the teachings from that day. And then Saturday, we'll again have a, a session more like this, where it's all, all integrated together for the hour and a half. Um, so then we do have some suggestions for um, what you may wish to do with this material between now and Tuesday. First is to read the sutta again, uh, and we'll, I think we'll probably suggest that every time because it's very helpful to keep looking at it. It seems like different things pop up at different times and based on what we've heard. Um, and then in terms of practice, um, two ideas. One is to observe where you put your trust and your energy when hearing information. Most of us take in information every day. Maybe we read the news or we get stuff through work or things that our friends and family send us. <clears throat> we are getting exposed to information. How do you decide what to believe and where to put your trust and faith and interest and energy? So it's not a, a question of whether it's you're doing it right according to the sutta, but more just like what, what is, what's your mind, the orientation of that. Sometimes we haven't noticed that explicitly. And then in terms of um, sitting practice, we can also observe what meditation instructions do we use. We may have been sitting down and habitually doing the same practice for a very long time where we have certain ideas about how we should approach it when the mind wanders away from our object. And so it's not, again, again, it's not an idea that there's a right way and you're checking whether it is, but just what is it? <laughs> what is it that your mind is doing? on the cushion and also in terms of information in, in daily life. So I think that's what I had for now. And I'll just invite if any of the other uh, teachers wanted to say anything to wrap up this class. Um, yeah. Yes, yeah, so I'll just mention because there are some people who uh, uh, in their emails uh, kind of pointed out that this come, uh, next Saturday, uh, there is a retreat uh, that's going on in Insight Retreat Center, and you may be missing the last class. And so uh, we will be recording the session, and so and that's the way to kind of catch up um, uh, if you need to. Yeah, I just mentioned that. And I want to just offer my deep bows. Uh, I feel I'm really looking forward to going on this journey together and exploring together and hearing from you all. It's really wonderful. The four of us, we love the suttas, uh, poking around in them and talking about them, practicing with them. And it's just great to share this with everybody. It's really great. So we look forward to seeing you on Tuesday. Until then, take care. <laughs>